Memorial Day, which if you're somehow just utterly unaware of what's going on in our society, happens tomorrow. And it's a day that has been rightfully set aside for a purpose. I realize that in, for many, many people it's a holiday. This is a big holiday weekend. It's considered kind of the unofficial kickoff of the summer. One of the biggest travel holidays of the year is the Memorial Day weekend. It is a time where we get our grills ready and get them going. We get our swimming pools ready. We go to the lake, all that kind of stuff. And in the world of many people, in the gym world, if you want to look at kind of a crazy thing, then go and just look up the Murph Challenge. And there's a whole group of people doing that. But we all know, deep within us, that none of those are the real reason for the holiday. The real reason is to stop and to remember. Remember the sacrifice that has been made, the ultimate sacrifice that has been paid. And I, I understand the wrestle of that. I understand that uh, in some ways we are removed decades from big wars. I'm not trying to minimize Afghanistan in the least or the desert or anything like that. But it's been decades since Vietnam and Korea and World War II and all that. We know it historically, but, but it's, a, it's a little bit difficult. But I think we know well enough what God has blessed us with in our nation and the fact that we say it and we mean it, that freedom is not free, I think it would be appropriate if we just stop and bow our heads and give a moment of thanks. Let's do that. Everyone, North Campus, South Campus, online, let's just bow our heads. Father, we don't want to minimize in any way what we've been given. We, we are in no way saying that we are the greatest nation on planet earth or the greatest nation that has ever existed, but there's a lot of greatness that you've given to us. And we're grateful for that, Lord. And we know that that has come at a price. Millions of lives have been sacrificed over the course of the history of our nation to get us where we are today. And we stop and we remember. And we know there's a lot of blessings that we have. And we ask that we would use those well to bring glory and honor to your name. We ask in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Now, I want to dare be brutally honest for a little while and tell you there's a part of me that wrestles to really hone in on the real reason for Memorial Day. And it's not because I have a lack of gratitude for our nation. I, I've traveled all over the world. I have a great deal of gratitude for our nation. But when we look at people who have lived lives of virtue, lives of sacrifice, and we remember that and we honor that, it simultaneously challenges us to be the same kind of people. See, you see, when you honor something, there's a challenge to become that which you honor. And there's a part of me, to be brutally honest, I don't want to think about the possibility that lives had to be given and sacrificed, the ultimate sacrifice so that we could have what we are. And that might have to happen in the days to come. That there might be wars and battles in the days to come because in the days to come, it might be my grandsons we're sending to war. In the era we live in, which is strange in many ways to me, it might be a granddaughter. And maybe one day they would have to battle to battle for the freedoms that we tend to take for granted. And there's just a part of me that avoids thinking about that. 
But it's not just that. It's not just the abstract thought of a mere possibility of grandchildren going to war that make me kind of shy away from it. This Memorial Day, more than any other, the Lord has had me remember others who made the ultimate sacrifice. Not just of those for our nation, but those for our faith. In the sixth chapter of Revelation, we get a glimpse into one of the scenes of heaven. And John writes that Jesus opened the seal and he, John, saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony that they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, how long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. Then each of them was given a white robe and they were told you have to wait a little while longer until the full number of their fellow servants and brothers who were to be killed as they had been was completed. The scene is that of the martyrs, souls of men and women who love Jesus more than life itself. But those souls aren't just those who happen to, hap happen to have occurred 2,000 years ago. It's been a win where it's happening today. We have a ministry partner, one of 92 that works with underground churches all over um, some of the most oppressed nations on planet Earth. Listen to me. There's a move of God happening in places you never thought it would happen that you're not hearing about. If you go back in time to the fall of China to communism, back in, I believe, 1948, for decades we heard nothing from the church. It went all underground, and people assumed that all the missionary work done in China had been for naught, and there were no believers in China. And then in the 80s, late 80s, there began to emerge the news that was not just a surviving church, but there was a thriving and growing move of God all underground in communist China. Same thing now is happening. You pick the nation where you think it's not occurring. And it's happening right now. And one of our ministry partners actually works with underground churches in several of these nations around the world where millions are coming to faith. We had a project we were working on together, I and the leader of this ministry, and we had to put it on hold because there had been a breach in security on everything that they did. And he told me that they had a handful of their underground church leaders who had been captured and put to death. Just in the past few months, for no other reason than their faith. I got news this past week that in the nation of India, a nation we love and have several ministry partners, there's a state where Hindu extremists have begun persecuting not only the church of Jesus, but also um, Muslims in that state. 50 pastors have died in the last two weeks for no other reason than their faith. And the scripture implores us, remember your former leaders who spoke God's message to you. Remember how they lived and how they died. And notice, and imitate their faith. See, I don't know about you, but I can't help but feel the challenge of faith when I remember those willing to give their lives for the sake of Jesus. And I understand right now, sitting in this room, in this nation at this time, that can sound like preacher melodrama, right? Like being a little bit exaggerative and that's really not my point. But we said in this series, we want to be real. And there is a reality of our faith, an aspect of our faith that is represented in the martyrs that we have to embrace, even if we never are called to give our lives. If you and I want abundant life, 
If we want abundant life for our kids and our grandkids and our friends and our coworkers and anybody we love, we want to do more than just talk about it but actually live it, then there is a foundational facet of our faith that we have to put on, again, even if we are never called to give our lives to Jesus. Over the past several weeks, we've been exploring a passage of scripture in the fourth and fifth chapter of Ephesians. And it says, for the last time, I'll read it up here for a while. It says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desire. So notice, it is, it's in the present that if we don't put it off, there's a corruption that can occur, but we're to be made new in the attitude of our minds and the way we think, and we're to put on the new self created to be like God. Say like God. That is who we are. That's what we're destined to be. We are to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. The journey of following Jesus can be described as becoming that which we already are. Think about a baby. Is a baby completely human? It's like, well, it's like a yes and a no. Yes, absolutely completely human, but not everything it was intended to be. It has to grow up into that which it already is. Same way with you and I. In Jesus, we have been made a new person. We have, according to Scripture, been made born again. But we must mature. We must grow into everything we already are. But unlike biological growth, it doesn't happen passively. It doesn't just happen automatically. A baby doesn't have to decide to grow. But as followers of Jesus, we do have to decide to grow. We have to put off facets of our lives that are not like God. And we have to put on facets that are like him. Peter says something very similar to the early church, but much more direct. He says, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. Make every effort to add to your goodness knowledge. Make every effort to add to knowledge self-control. Make every effort to add to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness, as we talked about last week, brotherly kindness. And make every effort to add to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in, notice the phrase, increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there's a promise here, and I know it's stated in the negative, that if we keep adding these things, we protect our faith. We put a shield about it. But you can also, at the same time, see the positive, the inverse. If we keep adding to our faith, if we keep putting on godliness, we make every effort to add to our faith, then we become effective. We become productive. If I may, we don't just talk about abundant life. We just don't say in church, I want abundant life. But we actually start to live in the abundant life of Jesus right in the midst of this fallen world. We must make every effort. We must never cease to put on the new self. And then Paul, in Ephesians 4, just started listing all these commands of things that we're supposed to put on. And the last one we want to explore, chapter 4, verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So think about this. To grieve is to do more than just be sad. To grieve means a sadness over something that was lost, something that was precious to us. So begin to ask, how could we grieve the Holy Spirit? If you will, think for a moment like a parent. Maybe you're not a parent. Not everyone's called to that role in life. But you can think like a parent for a moment. If you have kids, the greatest desire of any good parent is that their kids have a good life. That their kids learn to make choices 
wise choices that will lead to good things, if I may, will lead to abundant life. Correct? So what grieves a parent? Well, what grieves a parent is when your kid goes stupid. Right? When your kid refuses to make the wise choices necessary to lead to an abundant life, then a parent begins to grieve because their kid is losing out on all the good things they long for them to have. Same with the Holy Spirit. Listen to me. We grieve the Holy Spirit when we do one of two things. We grieve the Holy Spirit when we either rebel against what he has told us not to do. He says, don't do this. We say, I'm going to do it anyway. Just like Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But they did it under temptation anyway. Or we refuse to do that which he says to do. So we either rebel against what he tells us not to do or we refuse to obey. We walk in disobedience what he says to do. And God's heart for us is so grand. His heart for us is so deep in love and kindness that he grieves when we rebel or we disobey. Notice, it's not anger, it's grief. Jesus grieves when we lose out on what he died for us to have. Think about that. God so longs for you and I to have everything that he designed for us to have. When we rebelled, he sent his son to die that we might again have opportunity at those things. His heart aches. His heart hurts when we are making choices, when we say no to that which we need to have abundant life. The reason, I think, most of the time we are saying no to the Spirit the reason that we grieve the Spirit is typically this thing called fear. All sorts of fears. We can go back in the Bible 1,300 years, and there was a guy named Joshua. How many of you have heard of Joshua? Hands up. So let me ask you, how many of you have heard of Moses? Hands up. There we go. we got Moses. Well, think Joshua second in command to Moses. Joshua saw more of the massive work of God than, than probably most people in human history. Some would debate that the miracles they saw were just as great as the miracles of Jesus. I don't know about that, but he saw a lot. See, he was in Egypt when Moses and Aaron showed up, told Pharaoh, let my people go. And when Pharaoh said no, God began to pour out plague after plague after plague. Joshua saw all ten of them. He saw Israel delivered from Egyptian captivity with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Joshua was there when they were up against the Red Sea and the armies of Pharaoh were coming against them and he watched as the Spirit of God, the angel of the Lord, held back the armies of Pharaoh and Moses lifted up his hands and the waters rolled back. And Joshua stuck his foot on dry ground. Millions walked across. And then when the armies of Pharaoh tried to follow, God swallowed them up the horse and the rider thrown into the sea. He saw it. Now they have millions of people in a desert. He saw water come out of rock, enough for millions. When they needed food, God said, I'm gonna send you something. In the morning, look up. And in the morning, all over the ground like dew was this bread-like substance called manna. And he watched it show up day one. Day two, day three. He watched as some people didn't trust it was going to keep showing up, and they tried to collect more, and then it got maggots and all that kind of stuff in it because God said, I'll give you enough of your daily bread. He watched that on day six they could gather up 
enough for two days because they could honor the Sabbath on the seventh day. He watched all of that, and when they began to complain and grumble that all they had was bread, God in his grace and mercy sent quail. And so every morning, manna and quail, manna and quail, enough for millions of people. Hear me, Joshua had been part of more of the extraordinary works of God than most would ever be. Yet, when God came and spoke to him one day, he seemed to struggle with fear because God said, Moses isn't taking these people into the promised land. Joshua, you are. You are going to be the leader of Israel. And it appears that he became fearful because God said, have I not commanded you? Hear it. Be strong and courageous. Let that word sink in. Do not be frightened. Do not be overwhelmed for I. The Lord, your God, will be with you wherever you go. See, I don't know about you. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is right here because it makes me think, well, if Joshua has a tendency to be frightened, if he has a tendency to be overwhelmed with all that he saw, I'm in good company. But just like Joshua, I can put on courage. I can put on strength. Listen to me. If we desire not to grieve the Spirit of God, if we desire to walk in all God has, then we as his people must radically put on courage. Courage is foundational to productive faith. Courage is foundational to effective faith. I will say it another way. Let me be very clear. Following Jesus isn't for cowards. Following Jesus isn't for the faint of heart. It takes courage to follow Jesus, to become a Christian takes courage. Think about it. To become a Christian, you got to own up to your failures. We're not good at that in our society, are we? We make excuses. We hide. We give reasons. We do exactly what Adam and Eve of old did. But to become a Christian, you have to stand before a holy God and say, I have screwed up. I have messed up. I have failed. And there's nothing I can do about it. No excuses. No defenses. No justification. God, I am messed up and I need help. To become a Christian means I am going away of my self-leadership and I must repent. I repent of self-leadership and I give myself, surrender myself to his leadership and believe that radically follow him is not going to just help me make it in life, but it's going to lead me step by step into abundance in this life and in the life to come. To live that kind of life, listen to me. It's not a casual thing. It's not a half-hearted thing. It takes courage. It takes courage to live a life of obedience, to live a life not wanting to grieve the Spirit of God. Years ago, my wife and I were blessed to go on a trip to Hawaii. We went to the island of Oahu. And we did, dude, we did all the tourist thing, man. I mean, wearing the shirt that the locals don't really wear so you can always tell the tourists in the Hawaii shirts, putting on the lays, all that kind of stuff. We were doing it all. And we had the day that we needed to go back to the airport and we had some time because we had to stay in the area of the airport. And I saw that there was a thing called the Missionary House Museum. And it was a museum honoring the followers of Jesus who brought the gospel to Hawaii for the first time. I thought, let's go to that. I still being a tourist, man, went to the church, very first church built in Hawaii. It was built actually out of coral. They cut coral out of the coral reef in the ocean, and they used coral bricks to make that. We went through all that. And then like many churches of old, there was a graveyard behind the church. 
And you could walk through the graveyard. And I started walking in the graveyard. And as soon as I started reading the grave markers, man, I realized I was in a holy place. Because I was looking at the dates and I was looking at the birthplaces. And I began to take a little bit of that knowledge of history that stuck with us no matter what we tried not to get in class, right? And I remembered most of the people who were in that graveyard were from New England. They were born in the late 1700s and the early 1800s. Now think about our nation then. Our nation did not go from east coast to west coast at the time. In 1803 was Louisiana Purchase, but it was still all wilderness. But we didn't have railroads that went all the way across our nation. They didn't have airplanes, right? So they got on a wooden boat and they began to sail down the east coast. There was no Panama Canal to cut your way through. They sailed the tip of South America in that boat. And they sailed up six to nine months on a boat. No airplanes, not a lot of comfort. Knowing that if they wanted to communicate with their loved ones, they would write a letter and that letter would go six to nine months back. Someone else would write a letter and it would go six to nine months back. Communication every year, year and a half. Many of the graves were those who died very young. There was a grave of a lot of children, graves of a lot of young mothers and young fathers. And I sat there with tears in my eyes, thinking, what kind of courage do men and women like this have to leave New England, to go to a people they had never seen, didn't know a whole lot about, for no other reason to just share with the people who had never heard the love of Jesus Christ. What kind of courage leads to that kind of sacrifice? And I thought of parents laying hands on their children and grandparents laying hands on their grandkids and church elders laying hands on their people, sending them to a place that they are likely never to see them again, all for the glory of God. But it isn't just those life and death situations, those radical missionary story where we need courage. If you want to follow Jesus, you're going to need courage tomorrow. I recently remembered a story. I was in a local restaurant. This was years ago. And a waiter, not my waiter, but a waiter came up to me really, really excited. And he said, Pastor David, I go to Beltway. I, I didn't recognize him, but I introduced myself, and he began to tell me his story. And the story was that someone that worked with him began to reach out to him. See, today we talk about an acronym that we all want to live by. We call it BLESS. Let's live to bless people. Begin with prayer. Listen to them. Eat. Serve. Share our story with them. Long before we had the acronym, we had a guy at a restaurant doing that with a coworker, and he invited him to come to church, and that guy had come to church, and he had received Jesus, and he'd become born again. And he told me about what his coworker had done and how he'd shared life with him. And he said, you're not going to believe it. The other day, I was waiting on a couple and I took their order, and the lady looked at me and said, would you mind if I shared something with you that I think God wants you to know? 
David, she began to tell me things about my life. There's no way she would know. And words of encouragement flow forth. And he looked at me and he said, all this stuff, all these encounters with my coworker, with the church, with this lady, they've saved my life. I don't know any more of the story than that. That man could be in one of our rooms right now. He could be on the other side of the world. I don't know if he walked in right now. I, I don't remember the story. But what I do know is this. I know for that coworker to live to bless his life took courage. It takes courage to share your story with someone who might reject it. Somebody who might turn away from it. Can you imagine being the lady sitting there in the booth and having a stirring of God about a possible prophetic word for somebody and your mind's thinking, what? What if I'm wrong? What if they think I'm crazy? What if they think I'm an idiot? What if they say, no way I want you to say anything to me? You know all the things that would be going through your mind. What kind of courage did it take just to take the risk to share a possible prophetic word with them that led to life, led to God stirring someone? I just know that's what it takes. It takes courage to follow Jesus. Listen, life as a follower of Jesus isn't for the faint of heart. It takes courage to stand for biblical truth in a culture which not only no longer accepts it, but is going to reject it and attack those who believe it. You don't believe they'll be attacked? Ask a teenager a question, just a simple question. This is basic. Ask a teenager if they announce to a few friends that they're going to commit their lives to save their sexuality for their marriage partner, what will happen to them? And they will start to chuckle and go, man, I'll be made fun of. I will be mocked. All sorts of things will happen over something really simple, much less some of the deeper biblical issues, right? It takes courage to stand for biblical truth in a culture where it's attacked. But when we are attacked, we don't respond as those who are attacked. Because it takes courage to respond like Jesus. It takes courage to respond in kindness when attacked. To bless when we are cursed. To not curse our enemies, but to love our enemies. Because it takes courage to walk honestly in your business when it seems like everyone else in your realm of business is cutting corners and is going to get ahead. It takes courage to trust in the favor of God and walk honestly. It takes courage to be financially generous, to grow in your tithes and your offerings for the sake of others, to sacrifice for others when this thing called inflation seems to be eaten away at the value of your dollar, right? When you look at the government, ooh, we're getting personal now, right? And deep down, we really don't trust that government. It doesn't matter what party it is. That they're working in the best interests of its citizens in our economy. It takes courage to keep loving Jesus and running after him and loving his bride, the church, when someone in that bride has hurt you. When a leader has disappointed you. It takes courage to keep trusting Jesus. When deep within, you wish Jesus had done this in this situation at this time. See, it takes courage to keep running after Jesus when he's not doing what you want, when he wants in the way you want. Are you hearing me? Courage is foundational to a life of faith. Foundational to productive faith. One author has said it so well. Courage is not the feeling of fearlessness. Hear that. I don't have a mechanism to keep us from feeling fear in certain situations. Courage is rather the willingness of mind necessary to act out of conviction 
rather than feeling. Courage is the first and greatest element of character. Merely knowing what is chaste, knowing what is honest, knowing what is true, that is not enough. It takes courage to act on virtue. Is that not what we remember this week? Do we not remember acts of courage? Do you think that the soldiers storming Normandy on D-Day, you think they felt some fear? And yet they stormed anyway. Why? Courage! And probably the reason we shrink back from remembering Memorial Day is because when we honor a virtue, we are challenged to become virtuous. And there's a challenge, a call for us to put on courage. Courage is the catalytic agent that summons every other virtue into action in the face of temptation or crisis. Courage is foundational. It's foundational to a heroic people. It is foundational to a productive faith. And I'm going to go a step further, and I need you to listen to me here, please. If we don't put on courage, failure in our faith is very possible given the direction of our society. And I know some of you right now, you are thinking of a doctrine, a doctrine called the perseverance of the saints. Some of you are thinking the phrase, once saved, always saved. I'm just going to challenge that phrase, once saved, always saved, is one of the most misused in the church. Please understand, I understand very well the doctrine of perseverance. I'm not contradicted in any way here. I just want us to hear the words of Jesus. I was reading this week in the 24th chapter of Matthew, just my normal reading plan. Jesus was talking to the 12 about the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple, but he was also talking about the end of time. But I believe also within his instructions, there are specific principles about when society seemed to be turning away from God. When there seems to be an end of a season for a society like ours turning from God. And Jesus said, Matthew 24, 9, you will be handed over to be persecuted, put to death, and you will be hated by all nations on account of me. Now, I realize no one in our nation right now is being put to death because of faith. And I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. But let's be honest. Opposition, persecution, being spoken against, being maligned, cancel culture, all on the rise, right? At that time, many will turn away from the faith. Not only turn away from the faith, but will again betray those who are part of the faith. Many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. And this phrase stuck out at me. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of many, I think at the end of time, the love of most will grow cold. Now, I understand this is a bit sobering. But this series is about being real. This is as real as I can get. I want you to hear me. I love you. Some of you are saying, you don't know me. I know I don't know you. I still love you. The greatest weight I feel is you. I walk our rooms. I lay hands on cameras. I get together with our elders. Our elders pray every Monday morning, 630, almost every week of the year. I've been doing it for 25 years. We cry out, battle for everyone to have the abundant life of Jesus Christ. Even you, I know this, I know you're engaging right now. You're engaging on a holiday weekend, online, maybe listening later, right now at one of our campuses, because your faith has a level of importance to you. So I need you to really listen to me now. More than ever in the days to come, you want a growing, thriving faith, you better put on courage. 
It is going to be more necessary than ever. Parents, you want your kids thriving in faith. You better teach them to put on courage. When wickedness rises in a society, and there is no doubt we're seeing it rise. Listen to me. I'm not scared. Because I believe when darkness rises, light rises too. I expect to see a big move of God. But I'm telling you, in the midst of that, the temptation is to let our love for Jesus grow cold. And the reason is simple. Faith is no longer popular. Do you feel like there's been like a switch in our society real quick and all of a sudden belief in God no longer what it was like five years ago, seven years ago? It's no longer convenience. It's no longer the thing. More courage is required. But Jesus makes a promise. The one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Saved is not a word of survival in the Bible. It's a word of abundance. The one who stands firm, who walks courageously, will obtain everything I have for them in this life and the life to come. It takes courage to persevere when wickedness is on the rise. See, I don't know about you, but more than ever, I want to be a person of courage. I not only don't want to grieve the Spirit, I mean, think about that for a second. Don't use that casually. Just the fact that my actions or lack of actions could hurt the heart of God who died for me. I don't want to grieve his heart. More than that, I want to bring him pleasure. I just want him to look at my life. And if Satan somehow, like in the book of Job, can talk to God, it appears he can't, I just want him to look down and say, have you considered him? Have you considered David? Have you looked at him? It brings pleasure to my heart. I just know this. I know that God became flesh. He lived just like we live, but had no sin. And the only one that never deserved to die, died. Not because he deserved to die, because I deserved to die. And God placed on him my penalty. And I can't prove it to you. I think the scripture alludes to it. But we'll hold it loosely. I think Jesus descended into hell. And I think he experienced hell that I was supposed to experience. And I'll never have to experience hell because he did. Because he rose victorious over death, hell, and the grave. And he says, I got the keys. I hold in my hands the keys to death and Hades. And when you receive me, you no longer have to die. He who would do that, he is worthy of everything in my life. And he alone is worthy. And so he is worthy, and we have a world that seems to be running against him, then I'm willing to put on some courage. I'm willing to do what it takes. I'm going to tell you what you're going to need to do. We're going to need to be radically connected to him. We're going to need not less church. We're going to need more church. We're going to need engaged church. We're going to need to connect with God. We're going to need times by ourselves where we open up the book. We're going to need to be times of worship all by ourselves. We're going to need to be engaging the Bible. And we're going to need times with each other where we spur one another on to love and good deeds, that we impart 
encourage to each other. That idea of encourage is not just about making somebody feel a little bit better. It's about saying, you can do it. There's a courage from the Spirit of God to live like you're supposed to live. I want to be a man of courage. And as much as I love you, I do. If you choose another path, so be it. I'm going after him. I'm going to follow him. And if all of you decide to go another direction, my heart will be broken. But by the grace of God, I'm going to run after him. But I am confident of this. I ain't going alone. Because I know you. And I know right now the Spirit of God is stirring you. And you're going, yes! I want to be a woman of courage. I want to be a young man. I want to be a young woman of courage. I want strength and courage like Joshua of old. I'm adopting the words of Joshua at the end of his life. Israel had gone into the land of promise, had taken a lot of it under his leadership. They were living in a time of prosperity and success like us, and wickedness was beginning to rise. And Joshua was at the end of his leadership. And he looked at them and said, if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. You can serve the gods of your forefathers. They served them across on the other side of the Jordan River. Or you're standing in the land of the Amorites and we defeated them, but you can serve their gods. But then he looked at them and he made a declaration. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But as fear my house, we're going to follow him. And my suspicion, I think it's of the Lord, is that every one of us wants to make that declaration. Are the days ahead going to be easy? They're not. But I think they're going to be tremendous in the midst of not being easy. I think we're going to see things of God that we've only dreamed of seeing. Because he promises when the tares grow, the wheat, the weeds, the wheat begins to grow as well. And we are going to see a move of God through those who would dare be courageous in their faith and I want to be a part of it. And I think you do as well. So let's do this. Let's bow our heads. And let's just ask God for that. Let's ask God for courage. I challenge you. Put it on. Put it on. Let us remember our leaders. Remember those who've gone before us. It was said of those that they overcame the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And they loved their lives not so much as to shrink back from even death. I can't even begin to fathom that, but I can believe that there's a courage to live for Jesus in the midst of this world where wickedness is on the rise. And I implore us, just ask God for grace to put it on right now. Courage, no matter what. No matter whoever else goes the other way. Courage. Courage to stand for truth. Courage to walk in grace. Courage to add and add and add to our faith. Courage to love deeply, even those who would revile us. Courage to believe. Blessed are you when men persecute you speak all sorts of evil against you, revile you with their words. Blessed are you. 
courage to believe those kind of words. Maybe right now you just want to make a declaration. I dare you to do with where you are. You can be a young man, a young woman. You can be married. You can be single. What if you just said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord? What if you said it right now? Come on, you got courage to do it? Whisper, it's like, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my household, others can choose for themselves. We choose. I choose. We will serve Yahweh. For he alone is worthy of the honor of my life. Ask him for courage. Ask him for courage to live for him and under his leadership more than ever. And I think some of you are receiving Jesus for the first time. You've taken that step of courage because there's an impartation of courage this morning. You're saying yes to follow him. Saying yes, repenting turning away from self-rule, surrendering to his rule. If you've done that, today is the day. Mark it. Born again. The step you take next is the step where you confess him before people. Jesus said, if you confess me before humans, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. But if you fail to confess me before humans, I won't confess you before the Father. The way we confess baptism. All you got to do is sign up next step for baptism. You do it with a QR code in the park news. Use that QR code, sign up. Our team will be working with you, and we'll talk to you about those next steps so we can continue our growing with him. As for me and my house, we declare, oh God, we will serve you. And on behalf of the leaders of this house, this church, we declare it over this church, Beltway Park. As for me, in this place called Beltway Park, we will serve you. We will run after you and we will live for the glory of your name. But we are going to need help. So we put off fear in the name of Jesus. Put it aside. And just as we honor those of old who lived lives of virtue and courage, we ask, oh God, give us grace to be courageous. When times arise, Let us be those who walk in a different kind of spirit, the spirit of your son, Jesus. We ask in his name, and God's people said, amen and amen.